keep going. Hello. Welcome to another episode of the Keep Going podcast. By this point, you have probably realized this is not your standard podcast. Really, it's just ongoing conversations of three people, two coaches and a running shoe designer who live in Austin, Texas, and are just have a lot of fun talking to each other. Um, mostly we talk about running, but we talk about all other kinds of things. You know, the three of us have had journeys of sobriety or are still on those journeys. Um, we like talking about music. We'll have an upcoming episode that covers the music of the 90s and our experience of the music of the 90s. But mostly what you're getting are, um, also I think, I don't know what I mean to say, just one of the other things you're getting here for anybody that's interested in how people operate um, in small businesses as entrepreneurs. I think that Michael's journey with Atreyu, my journey um, with Rogue in the years that I was a part of that um, company, and what I'm doing now in my own coaching role, being an entrepreneur, it's, you get a good you get a good take on what's going on with that. So I think that's kind of useful as well. Anyway, what you see, what you hear, is what you get. It's pretty much the same ball rolling downhill. Um, we hope you enjoy it. In this episode, we are covering the role of the athlete. We're kind of talking a little bit about the roles, the responsibilities that an athlete has, and the expectations coaches might have about those athletes, and some goal setting stuff, and kind of a one of my real interests is in seeing running as a learning process, not necessarily about winning. But we go into all kinds of corners and talk about all kinds of crazy things. So. Hopefully you guys are enjoying this. At this point, um, you may be interested enough to leave us a um, a review or tell us what you think or send us an email, however it feels right. If you want to send us an email, you can shoot one over to me. You can find me at sisson at telosrunning.com. That's T-E-L-O-S-R-U-N-N-I-N-G.com. Um, we'd love to hear from you and hear what you think um, or post it on uh, wherever you get your particular podcast. We'd love to hear from you and bring you into this conversation one way or another. So without any further ado, I will bring to you the episode we call The Role of an Athlete. Because I do have notes. I had some here's, notes. Here's, my, like here's the beautiful here. thing. Last night, before I got in bed, I put my notebook on the kitchen counter, which I see as I come downstairs and as I go to the garage. Did I pick it up? No. Leave it there. Stupid. We don't but need it. The fundamentals <laughs> was talking about um, what is the role of an athlete. And when we talked about that last time, the first thing that popped to my head was not the role but was the different types of athletes I think it was like Jack in Jack Daniels first book he was like four types of athletes the coach experiences and what are those that the, he gives what give us, the, give the, the, the driven uh, the driven and physically talented 
wait, yeah, the driven and physically talented, the driven and not talented, the undriven and talented, and the undriven and untalented. And the fourth who should go away. <laughs> the fourth is there <laughs> watching the movie. One week. No, no one week. Yeah. They got they got excited for a day, and yeah. they showed up, and then you gave them a uh, 10K yeah. workout, and then they never, never came back yeah. again. <laughs> and so that was the first thing that popped into my head. Um, because I thought the role of that, you know, can you, is the role of an athlete different for each individual or is it, or is it like an, um, sort of an umbrella identification kind of thing? And I think ultimately the role of the athlete is that is to learn. That's it. Whatever the mode, whatever the method, physical, mental, whatever it's all, it's, really it's just learning right at the most basic level and the athletes that tend to absorb the most and perform the best and remain the healthiest are the people who go into it and just like all right i'm this is what i'm doing and whether they suck at it or whatever they're they do what they're asked to do and if they don't know how to do it they try to they try to learn and then you you know those are the athletes that you want but because there's so much information available online and all this stuff everybody comes in with some preconceived notion of what it is and you know the first kind of thing you have to do is dispel all the myths and everything like that so they don't you know, you want them to go in with, you don't want them to come in blind, but you want them to go in with like the open eyes thing. You know what I mean? But also coaches come in with their yeah. ideas of yeah. what they are, whether they've categorized them the way that, yeah. um, you know, that Dr. Daniels did or whether they're the way you and I do it or the way right. that, you know, the way I fact thought, looked at an athlete when I was first coaching and the way I look at an athlete now is very, very different. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I mean, when I, if you ask me what I, I have, I came to this place somewhere in the middle where I decided every athlete was full of shit. <laughs> At first I thought they were all like yeah. knew their stuff, yeah. even though I never did, but right. that I thought, I think they did. And I'm always trying to prove something to them. Yeah. Then I'm like, they're all full of shit. And now I'm at the place where, yeah, they're full of shit, but they want to learn and they want right. to know yeah. in a kind of a way. But, um, yeah, I wonder about this idea of who is, so maybe you said that we talked about the role of an athlete. We talked that's how kind of we were talking. And then you just moved it into what kinds of athletes, right. types of athletes. Yep. And I think the third area that might be really interesting to talk about, not right this minute, but as we go along, I'd like to bring in because I thought a lot about this is the responsibility of an athlete right. and where and and to tie that in with the conversation we had last week of the role and responsibilities of a coach is where are the roles and responsibilities of an athlete and then maybe there's something that we can glean from the two of those conversations and kind of put something together that says, Hey, here's a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. Like here's a healthy right. way to work. Um, but what are your thoughts, Michael? Where, where, where are you coming at from this conversation? John and I've given our, our, our POVs. Where's what's yours? I, I kind of took it from the responsibilities of an athlete. That's kind of where my head went when I was preparing some of my notes. And, uh, what I've got is kind of this idea that, um, I was thinking about it from my personal perspective as an athlete and kind of the trials or perils of, of kind of 
my story arc as a as an athlete. Um, the different kinds of athletes is very interesting to me as well. So um, kind of seeing that on the drive versus talent. Kind well, of let's let's start system. there because I think that's what John came mm-hmm. with, and this is his this is his topic, and which I love, and I think. Why don't, here's a great thing, because John and I are coaches, and we're going to sit here as great psychotherapists and put you on the couch. Mm-hmm. And say, what kind of athlete are you? Like, what kind of athlete are you? Because this might help somebody who's listening to us be able to say, and yeah. did you start that way? And is, it a, yeah. and is it across domains? You know, is it more a nature of Michael? Or is it a, oh, when I'm a is cyclist, it- I'm X. When I'm a swimmer, I'm X. When I'm a runner, I'm Y. And when I'm a, when I'm a triathlete, I'm like, X plus, you know, give us a little bit of, a, of an idea about where you're seeing that. And, and where do we time stamp it? Is it from the onset of, of like that first, I'm going to go try and qualify for Boston or I'm getting into running? Like what, is it in the past or is, well, it, I is think it in that, the present? Well, I don't know. Well, I guess anybody that's listening to us is going to be listening to us from a present perspective. So yeah. maybe we say that we time stamp this from the perspective of saying here is an athlete. Mm-hmm. However, in your case, I'd like to hear, Maybe you go, you start, this is where I am. This is how I got here. That might be useful. Yeah, yeah. Right. I would say that I would fall under the dedicated category. Um, I wouldn't necessarily, I'd say that I fall under, I'm probably, I'm not elite by any means, and I'm not necessarily in the bell curve of the middle packer. I'm somewhere... Um, in between middle packer and that guy's got a little bit of talent. Um, I really don't know where that, where that lands contextually. It's like my marathon is somewhere in the two fifties, uh, probably can see a little bit better performance from that. That would take a lot out of the, the engine probably. And, um, I tend to think of myself as, um, Maybe I reach a little a little far for goals. Uh, maybe I shoot go big a little bit. I'm dedicated in the fact that I like to go big. Uh, I set big goals, and I'm okay with kind of milestones along the way just to see where it ends up. So on a scale of 1 to 10, to break it down, if, if my goal is, let's just call it a 10, then I like to go for a 12 or 13, knowing that a 9 is awesome. So it's... It, if that's where I end yeah, up, this, I is, this, like is, where, this is where John and I go, oh, this is the classic <laughs> problem of every athlete. Yeah, yeah. And, and, we, and, and we, have, we have history with that. So I think there's much to, much to behold. <laughs> so, yeah, I would say maybe dedicated and a little bit, uh, a little bit um, busy-minded about it, I suppose. Do you think that's your nature, that that's coming from the nature of who you are kind of as the essence of you, that you're that way in a lot of other areas? Or is this kind of specific to your athletic your being an athlete oh well i think it it all it all stems from the origin of it uh for context i started running when i entered into sobriety about a decade ago i was a restaurant owner i was the hot dog guy i had my little restaurant it was a cool operation and it would stress me out and i would go running through the lunch break every Every lunch break that I could, I would 
leave the keys to the restaurant with the crew, little ragtag crew, and we were awesome. But if I came back and the restaurant wasn't burned down, then it was a successful run. So there started this idea that, like, okay, uh, I'm going to go running. and I'm going to do it, get sun and everything like that. So um, what I discovered is that somebody told me that uh, a buddy of mine did an Ironman, and I just got a little jealous. And so went and broke off an Ironman. And then after that, a lot of, I, I said, I wanted to go run a sub three marathon. People were saying, oh, you can't really do it. And the story is that I like kind of proving that wrong. And so I went out in spite and, <laughs> you know, ran a marathon, probably in the most unhealthy way and finished my first marathon at CIM saying I'll never run a race like that again. What did and, you run? Uh, 250, uh, 252. So you got it, though. You got oh, under yeah. the three that everyone was telling that mm -hmm. you weren't. So you have this repeated success of going for a 13. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, sub three, and then he runs a 252. So I think I might push him in the category that's yeah, a I mean, little I bit more <laughs> of hungry and talented yeah, yeah, than yeah. he's giving himself credit for. Yeah. Not many athletes have I worked with that come off of that, no matter what their age, and pops a 252. No. So, yeah. Well, there Not was... knowing what you're doing, and then walking away and saying, drop that, I'm done. Marathon sucks. <laughs> and, 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 well, well, I think what's interesting about that one is that I, I came off of that experience not being able to hardly walk for a week. So I was training it probably... 650 paces right because i read that you had to run like 652 or something like that to get mm -hmm. it i don't know the exact numbers but anyway my first 13 miles came out at like 620 mm -hmm. like the average and that's so a tough course to do that way on. too hot and uh and basically hobbled in the last three kind of just went for broke and then again told myself i'll never race like that again it kind of felt unhealthy it was really really I mean, really a painful experience to the end. And then every single race since then is the, is almost a carbon copy of that experience. So here's me operating within the means of my best judgment, repeating that first experience almost over and over, trying to uh, facilitate uh, what you would call a beautiful race mm -hmm. and always trying to strike that balance. So that's, that's kind of where I am with it. I, I, I do have to note that he said, eh, it just broke off an Iron Man. Just casually. <laughs> well, I just did an Iron Man. I would say because there was, it was Saturday. There's a low, know? there's a lot of you uh, skipped over. The, you know, you well, have to prepare. That's it's a it's a big time. That's like doing a hundred miles. I'm fueled by um, an inner anger and rage that I don't let off to people yeah. most of yeah, the yeah, time. Yeah, and my training after I am gifted with the sobriety thing because when you quit drugs or alcohol you're left with the underlying codependency oh, of yeah. the thing the that thing, that yeah. doesn't go away no. when you stop the thing that works every single time so right. i needed to find something that works every single time right therefore training for an iron man for four hours a day was a great substitute that, for yeah. going out four hours that just fit the bill. in the afternoon or night and doing my thing yeah so i would just trade those intensities out with each other one was a little bit more healthy than the other sure and um so that's where that came from so i think i think drive is an important aspect of the idea of of becoming um putting together maybe a, a 
a history of, of racing or something like that. I, I don't know. For me, it was drive and this and running on that type of self-esteem yeah. fuel that I needed to generate from them. Well, it's, it is that you mentioned it. It is a really good replacement if you're going to look for a replacement of the thing you're attached to. You know what I mean? Because, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Stress fracture, fall off your bike, you drown, whatever. It's, that's, you know, I, I always heard people, you're replacing something with something else. And one I'm addiction like, for the yeah. other. And I'm like, well, yeah, but this one, mm -hmm. uh, the doctors say is making me healthier. So I'm going right. to keep going with it. So now, now I understand how you immediately popped into Iron Man and because I was, it like, was, it was a hundred percent fuel yeah. of, of that period of my life yeah. kind of contributing to that. But that falls under the, okay. The, the no, drive I'm, and motivation no, category. Uh, totally. It does. I know. Yeah. I, same thing. And I did, I mean, I mean, there was, there is, there is a level of, of skill there that, that I'm, that I think is, is appropriate to, to own. And that's okay. I'm just have a hard time. Like, like most athletes, the role of an athlete, a lot of it is, uh, I mean, I, I meet a lot of athletes that operate from this. I don't necessarily, I feel less than a lot of times, so I need to operate greater than and yep. and a lot of us have some pent up talent that we can unleash yet yep. yet so you're not enough mm -hmm. yet you're gonna go for a 13 yeah right this is this is i think the quintessential experience i have as a coach of athletes is this is the natural person i end up following finding falling into the space that i'm working with I don't know. You are you do you have a similar their yeah, dedic no, their their ability level might be lower, right? right? But they've got some level of talent that allows them and that by talent I don't mean physical capability. It's right. more all the pieces of the puzzle to right. keep showing up and yep. showing up and showing up. Yeah. And then they've got a drive cuz that's something different than drive in my opinion right. cuz that's that's what I would call a um an internal motivator, yeah. right? An yep. intrinsic motivation. Yep. Showing up yeah, every day a, is the loop, is the right? intrinsic. The extrinsic is this Circular thing we're talking about, the drive part. Yeah. Like they're driven. That part is kind of extrinsic. And if you don't have these two things coming together, that's why I think um, in a lot of ways what we, that, that <laughs> you you did pull Dr. Daniels' analogy out of a book right so he he's not here to defend himself about no. what but i do think there's something more fundamental about an athlete that oh yeah that comes no, prior it, that michael's talking about that's yeah. so important yeah, and essential that's psychological the, profile who are that? you and who are you and who are you becoming right like that comes back to john's thing of learning um who are you Yep. And where, who are you becoming? And those things, um, if they're not, I, I think that this is a crucial thing that's not put on the table in a coach athlete relationship, um, by coaches. And I think yep. coaches are missing an incredible opportunity to say, why are you doing this? And I screwed this up, man. I got to into a phase of talking about people's purpose way too deeply. Yep. Um, I, I change it now. Um, and I, and I, cause it's too overwhelming to say to you, Michael, why do you run? Now you're pretty articulate. You've thought about this. And if I asked you that question, you really quickly could got to an answer. Cause you just did. You basically right. yeah, got yeah. down to the brass tacks of it yeah. right there. But most of the athletes that I work with, they, they can't, and that's not fair to all my athletes, but 
a lot of people I've been in confrontation, I've had sure. conversations with, when we get down to that, they can't really deal with that. Um, they can't go to that level because they really don't, it's kind of under the hood and they don't really know why. Maybe because they haven't gone through a really addictive experience that almost left, that made them bereft to where they had to stop. Like we've all had, we've all gone through periods of sobriety or you're currently sober, right? right. So we've, we've been at the bottom. I don't think a lot of people have been at the bottom. A lot of people I work with have not been at the bottom, right? They're not in that space and though they're, they've been running and they've been running and they've been running and it's keeping them afloat. Yeah. And so when you ask them what is at the bottom, they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. The interesting thing about that is that it, let's just call it sobriety is one of is, the way I view it is, is pretty interesting. It, it's one of the things that is a dependency. It's an external force, like using, in my case, notably alcohol as an external solution to an internal situation. Uh, it worked every time. It was awesome, and I could rely on it. And then when that, when that becomes unhealthy and that is done, there's a, still that underlying codependency that I talked about. And this transaction of the underlying codependency could be something like we moved to a new town and displaced ourselves and put ourselves in an uncomfortable position. And now we have to rely on the, how are we going to like be an athlete in that new situation? It's the same thing. It's like quitting alcohol or moving to a new town or putting ourselves in uncomfortable positions and how we deal with them. Uh, is is very very was very special and dear to me in creating this athletic life this in life of endurance what i call life 2.0 and i think that this transaction doesn't have to be sobriety it, it can be anything that challenges us to kind of like dig real deep yeah get to the bottom exactly. i just i i stated it that because the three of us have been through right. those things yeah, yeah. um and i don't but i and again i would just argue that a lot of the people that we have in our modern society and this and and especially people who come to running um let's just say it they're pretty privileged they're not they have most of them have not been at a place that's at the bottom and some of them might say they have and i would just argue okay did you wonder did you wonder whether you were going to live or die? Right. And, and, and you going, moving to another town is not that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think it's deeper. I'm just going to push back on that a little bit and say, maybe you're, maybe I'm mis misunderstanding what you're saying, but I do think that it takes, and if, and if an athlete doesn't do that, if an athlete doesn't go down to brass tacks mm -hmm. that at the mile at 30 K between 30 K and 40 K, they're going to be confronted with that because it shows up no matter what. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, a well-run 5K will do the same thing. A well-run 10K will do the same thing. Yep. Um, an Ironman does the same thing. A 100-mile race does the same thing. Um, and maybe even 100 meters. I don't know. I never really ran the 100 meters, but I, when I did when I was a kid, sometimes I'd look over. If there was a guy on my shoulder, I'd be going through the right same whole thing. Yeah. Like, uh, is it? So, you know, ultimately this question is, I think you have to ask this question of purpose. And I, I stopped asking the purpose question from a grand scale and started asking the question on a local scale, which yeah. is why are you running this race? Yeah. And if you can't give me a reason for why you're running this race, then we should not run the race. Yeah. Mm. And it doesn't have to be a good reason because once you give me a reason, I can then unpack it and deal with it and start working through it. Yeah. This brings me back to John's point. So what is that doing? So when we're talking, what we talked about last week is the role of coach is to bring to the athletes awareness that they're learning and yeah. it, at the deepest level, yeah. 
It just happens to be that it needs to be 652 per mile in order to reach the goal. But what you meet there is um, you get you get to the river, you get to the edge and you just don't know if you're going to get across it. And people, most people, if they haven't addressed this kind of issue, if they haven't taken their role as an athlete seriously, then they're going to they're going to reach that point and they're going to turn away and it's going to be an excuse or a reason. It's going to be too hot too hard, went out too fast. And none of those are a problem. I pick those pieces up and deal with them and handle them, but it, they're good because in the, but it doesn't help them in the moment. Um, and I don't know, we've gone now already so far around this circle. (laughs) Each of us have turned this into a completely different place. That's why it's so much fun because that's what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. That's why it's so much fun because like Michael's talking about his, sort of birth into the endurance sport world, right? Or being an athlete, or being really, an athlete, really yeah. being an athlete. Like saying, yeah. I'm an athlete, because that's a big difference. You notice right. we said role of an athlete. We right. didn't say the role of a Jerry jog- of, a, of, a, of a hobby jogger. Right, right. Because I think you and I both agree, we come from the same place, which is if you're going to run a marathon, if you're going to do an Ironman, if you're going to run a 5K and you're going to do it well, you're an athlete. You're already in that yeah, category, yeah. no matter whether you run 20 minutes a mile or you run right. like a breaker 440. It's, you just, it goes yeah. on. Yeah, you, you, and once that goes on, then it, it, it requires there's, there's responsibilities. Yeah. You're there's, saying you can, you can be an athlete starting now. Right? Everyone, it's, it's, yeah. It's an, and and if, yeah. if somebody's listening to this podcast, it's very likely they already are. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're curious. Yeah, they're think, learning. You know, I... Um, I think I'm probably more of an athlete in my head than my body. My, I was never a physically talented kid, but I was so obsessed with athletics and all the, whatever it was, attendant to each sport that I, that was all I practiced. I mean, I, I was a nerd, read tons of books and all that stuff, but you know, I would, you know, when I went to tennis camp, I would, I was always the first kid to get a thousand backhand. You know, I was really, it was maybe, maybe they could have said, eh, you're a little obsessive, back off a little bit, but they let me run with it. But, and that was how I got, at some point somebody said, if you look like you're good, you'll be okay. And I was like, all right. If, as long <laughs> as I look like I've been physically talented, at least I'll be a little better than average. You know what I mean? Um, and it's when when I was one of the parts of the the one of the pages of the notes that I had was thinking back to all the coaches I had, whatever different sport, and the only ones I can even remember. I mean, I was like, oh, I remember, I did that, but I don't even remember those coaches because they they didn't actually spend time with us. They 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 taught us what to do, but not how and why. Right. And they, you know, they were, you know, trying to make little robots and the coaches I remember, you know, like when I was swimming, this, that was the first like really head to head competitive sport I did. And I would get so nervous before races, I'd be in the bathroom throwing up every single weekend. And they were like, bro, you got to chill out. It's not that big of a deal. I'm like, but uh, what if what if I don't win? They're like, yeah. But the fact that they don't yeah. understand that you are going through that, yeah, 
means that then you divorce from them as a coach because you can't, they don't see you. Yeah. I think that's one of the critical things that's important is um, coaches need to see their athletes and athletes need to see their coaches. Yeah. See them. Yeah. For their real role and what they're really doing. Um, And, but going back to the idea of an athlete and maybe they're, they're, what is an athlete? Um, do you guys agree? I mean, I think I I stated it. Number one, they have to learn. They have yeah. to be willing to learn that, that 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 the whatever's going on in the training and or the racing, hopefully both, but at least one or the other, um, or both, that they're learning about themselves. They're trying to figure something out, mm-hmm. and that you know that's one of the things you were doing when you were got into immediately jumped into Ironman and then jumped in. You were trying to figure out how you either matched up against another triathlete who got you kind of interested. I can do that mm-hmm. or matched yeah. up against the time that somebody said was an objective time. Right. That might be real, a real runner run sub three hours or whatever it is, but you were learning about yourself and where you sit against that standard, a standard. Um, are there other aspects that are important beyond that learning piece that we need to unpack for people? Um, I'm not sure to me, I've always said that the ultimate goal of running the ultimate purpose of running is to learn or to to be to learn how to be a better human yep. right it just happens to be i'm doing it through pushing yep. off the ground and trying to run fast but are there, is there anything else there because if there is um maybe maybe we see it maybe it's there but we're not seeing it right i don't know i'm just throwing it out there yeah, yeah. well i mean think about cultures where running is part of the spiritual aspect of it right and like, I, I mean, I, as much as I think that is fascinating and everything else, I, I mean, I just don't understand it because I didn't grow up like that. You know, I can read the books, but I don't get it. So there are, not to say that it's right or wrong either. It's kind of like maybe a little bit of jealousy. Like you have this extra aspect that is really cool that you can tap in you know, both directions. And, um, you know, I think now, particularly as a coach, it's important that we remind consistently that they, the athlete does not have to compare themselves to the next athlete or anything like that like and that was one of the things that kind of pushed you right that was like a like a healthy motivator but i think a lot of people um are you know they'll get they'll say i need a boston qualifier which is an awesome goal it's a, a, you know it's it's got the a, a mythology surrounding it and everything so okay we're going to do this and they get so like weighted down by the by the goal that it is that because the the inundation of the Boston myth is now like all day long anytime you're on Instagram you know I see two people in my neighborhood wearing Boston jackets every morning walking their dogs it so you have to remind them again that hey that's really cool but if you don't get it this time there's always next time and there there seemed like the last several athletes I had that had had a real sense of finality about 
the races. Mm -hmm. And I think, and that's it's probably always been like that. Now I just think we're we're focusing on it because now you that's yeah. you see it all the time. That's that's what I have my the notes basically uh, summarize my notes. I what I'm hearing from you is do you have a long-term goal versus a short-term goal? And the way I see it is almost like, and the way I see businesses too, like going into an athlete's goal continuum is the same thing as going into a business. There's levers that you can pull, and it's saying, um, I think there needs, to, for consideration, there needs to be maybe... Maybe we could discuss if an athlete should form these goals, whether they be... I think it's important to, to acknowledge if, if you're in it for the long term or not, because those are two different sets. Yeah. One, if you're in it for the short term and you keep going, you're going to burn out. And I've learned this from experience. So if you set these short term, these finite goals, and you keep doing them yeah. as if they're the end, then there is burnout. And, and, and another thing I've suffered from is motivation. And I wrote, uh, motivation by inspiration, um, is, is a healthy thing, but motivation by imitation is not like, right. I don't need to go on YouTube and compare myself right. to these people. So that's, that these are, these are almost credos that, that I think, um, can be defined at the onset of establishing a new criteria of goals. Yeah. Um, I read this great book one time that kind of threw a wrench into the system, and it was, um, I hope I get the pronunciation of his name right, but it was the uh, former uh, editor-in-chief of Runner's World, Ann B. Burfoot, yep. and he wrote the, the book Run Forever, and that was the first time after the Iron Man, the first Iron Man I did, and CIM, and I was kind of like feeling some fatigue, and I read this book. And it gave me this new, fresh perspective. Like, there is a long-term goal here. I can run for life. Like, I, I, I can go the whole thing. I can do the whole thing. I don't have to stop. And But that was a choice that I didn't know was available at that time. So that's my consideration yep. to to maybe the role is, yep. is there needs to be uh, an objective, brutally honest inventory of our goals. Well, that's what I'm saying about a purpose. The mm -hmm. purpose doesn't have to be lofty. Yeah, and I and I'm, I'm I'll take whatever an athlete brings. To be honest with you, mm -hmm. sure. If they bring me a short term goal, I'm gonna use it. Yep. If they bring me a long term goal, I'm gonna use it. Yep. If they bring me no goal, I'm gonna use it because sure. my ultimate view is they're meaningless. It's about learning. It's about being a better human. So let's let's. So what we've done here is unpacked the meta, and what you're asking us to do, Michael, in my from my perspective, is like, but where do these other milestones sit in this relationship? Right? Mm -hmm. You you cook with what you got. You yep. take with what you have, and eventually someone will start to find those things. You know, I have an athlete that I worked with a couple of years ago, who um, did does he basically is a hobby collector. Um, and these hobbies are, are ways for him to be the best human being he can be. He would never frame it that way. It's, he's Irish and he's doesn't go deep like that. Right. Mm -hmm. well, this particular gentleman didn't. And it was just, I'm going to run until I reach the objective that I want to reach. And then I'm going to move on. And I remember at first I was just, it was anathema to me. I'm like, yeah. this is you're you're not a part of the tribe right. i'm gonna run, run you off from our community like you you don't belong and now i'm like are you kidding me that's just as authentic 
yeah. as a run forever model. Yeah. Like this is the thing about running. It's like, it's, it's not for everybody, believe me. But, and then those people who get involved in it at a deep level, they need nuance and variety and change and option options. And they need to have objectives because otherwise they just do it forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it, if you're not learning something, then it's basically like, like why do you brush your teeth and floss? Not for the sake of blushing, brushing your teeth and flossing, right? And to me, it's like running is going to meet an objective, okay? It should always meet an objective. So this idea of goals and purpose needs to be in play because I brush my teeth and I floss because I don't want to go to the dentist. I want to have a good experience at the dentist. I don't even do it to keep my teeth. I do it because the dentist is going to make me feel terrible, (laughs) like whatever. Like I think runners need, all athletes need to realize that they're in this push me, pull me relationship with their own goal setting. So what's the option? What, what's the best way to bring it? Whatever, come with whatever you got, think right? About, think about it in, I don't know if these would be like, it would almost be biological terms or whatever, but say you get someone who comes in and they have a short-term goal of, um, I want to get an Olympic trials qualifier in 18 months. Or let's not, because at, at you're talking about a different level athlete. But uh, again, we'll use Boston qualifier. And it's not a different level of athlete. Well, I'll be frankly honest with you. Like their the, their their the, emotional scale and their depth is the same as somebody's yeah, trying to get a Boston qualifier. I mean, someone who or go uh, under has the the physical abilities. Okay. Yes. Right. Right. To, to do because that. they're the same. I sure. do. Think, I think that's one of the things about athlete that I want to bring forward yeah, 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 today yeah. is there's no different between the person trying to get Olympic trials qualifier, and that's what Kipchoge's trying to tell us. Yeah. Yeah. He's trying to tell us that, and if we're not catching that vibe, then we're missing the point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so think. <laughs> not that you're getting it wrong. I just want. I just no, wanted yeah, to pull yeah, that so, out. That you just. I hate it when we don't. Not you. I'm. I'm not. This is not. Not a judgment. The way you phrased it was. Oh, let me not go there. But then when you do that, then it says. Oh, there's a special category. Yeah. Right. And oh, you don't. No, 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 I know no, no. you know. There's point. not okay. a special yeah, category no, 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 of athlete. No. no, but what I'm saying is someone who has, you know, ten years of 100 miles in their legs versus someone who has three years of 30 miles in their legs. So, you know, maybe we'll, we'll clarify it that way. But so you've got an 18 month window subconsciously, they know it's an 18 month window and they're going to apply, uh, pressure or expend energy given that 18 month window. But if you say, okay, let's back off a little bit and, you know, like pan out and look at this 18 month window within a three year or a six year and think about things in that way so that you don't expend all your energy in one place. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, guys. Why would they do that? Because it's, I, I think it's the example I was going to give is like when you do say, okay, guys, three mile tempo run. That's a high energy output for three miles. But if you say you have a 25K tempo run, the energy output is expanded over a period of time, right? And so I think as the coach, circling back to that coach thing, and also because I can't not circle back, you, the coach has to write the program for the athlete so that they almost can't expend the energy unless they go off on their own and they do their own thing. You know what I mean? You write the program not 
not just for this race also, but within the context of this much, much larger window. You know what I mean? So you write the programs, like if someone came in, came to me and said, my goal is Boston qualifier, I've been running three years. Um, I know this time I'm gonna get it, but I wanna get it. You, you have to look at like they've been running only three years. And unless you've got like a, a really physically talented human being resistant to injury and all that kind of stuff, you need to be aware that they're, they've only been running three years and you have to apply the stresses appropriately. Not just, so you're always sort of looking, you're automatically looking over a bigger time frame, right? You've expanded the spectrum and of, of time. And so you're not gonna go, okay, you, you, need, you need to be running 70 miles a week or whatever, you know what I mean? You have to write your program as part of the extension, you know what I mean? So the athlete's responsibility then is to take the larger view. Yeah. That the way to that short-term goal yeah. is longer. Because you said 18 months. Um, I haven't had a single athlete that's <laughs> ever come to me yeah, saying no. 18 months. They usually say Five. next week. Yeah, they like, say in three yeah, months. Yeah. And I've got four marathons between yeah. now and next year. And, the the you know, last Boston I, qualifiers in two weeks. I actually use 18 <laughs> months I as I use 18 months as my number to try to get them to think long term because yeah. it's the longest term I can actually get. Yeah. Ask my athletes. Every one of them will say, what's your month? What's your plan for 18 months? You can ask Lena right now. She knows I've had this conversation with her. What's your plan for 18 months from now? That's my long yeah. term because I don't have an athlete that will look at it long that longer term. So athletes, one of your responsibilities or one of your roles is if you want to be good at this particular sport, you need to give it the time. So that example of the gentleman who, for me who said, I'm going to get good at it, is like, I'm going to drop it when it comes. He's still running. Yeah. Now he's still running because he hasn't reached that threshold. And what I told him when we had this conversation, this isn't chess. This isn't even tennis. There's something else that goes on with running that fundamentally changes your neurology at a deep, deep level that, be take, that takes this into the realm of um, meaning. Yeah. Unlike that is decoupled, completely decoupled from the result you get. And the sooner you can see that, the more joy and wisdom and bliss and suffering and all the things that you'll get from it. I don't know that he's ever gotten there, but I know that that conversation was had. And what you're saying is, I think what we're saying here is like coming at it from all these different cool angles is, hey, it, it, it it's not... It's not simple, but I do want to mark make this point to anybody listening to this about what an athlete is, is don't choose this sport. If you want to be an athlete, don't choose this sport if you want something that's not going to take you to the deepest core of who you are as yeah. a human being. Because no matter what, this will put you there if you're competitive. I think that's a really cool point. So you're, you can choose to get into it by means of these little goals that you right. set. And... I don't know one person that's tried to shoot for a superficial goal and not come out of the agoji with a transaction 
that that's a that's a total mental shift in the kind of person that they are that's why i always support running as a means of personal change that's how yeah. i brand the literal highest brand it's of the transformation company, which is like we use running as a method to practice what we want to become it's it and what i learned along the way is that is that I didn't have a choice. And I don't think people have a choice because to get a goal, if it's a goal that's worth a shit at all, like if you're stretching yourself, if it's a, if it's a pipsqueak goal, then go get it. That's fine. That's awesome. If it's within your means, then that's fine. I just think what we're talking about is kind of like, you know what? I'm going to go stretch myself. Like I'm going to create a goal that's big. You can't set a goal that big and not have this transformation. I don't know what kind of alchemy is in running in particular yep. maybe it's the simplicity of it maybe it's that all you need is a good pair of shoes or something and it, the, the sport is very low barrier of entry uh endo, speaking. En, i'll say it the endocannabinoids I was oh just yeah say, the runner's high <laughs> that's a cool new study by the way that yeah is, did y'all see that one is yeah. that what you're talking about the new study that the runner's high is not necessarily uh the the uh, it's not endorphins. It's not endorphins. It's like actual producing of cannabinoid. Yeah. It's getting high on your own supply. Exactly. Wait, remember, it's so cool. Remember, and you get there quick. Yeah. After yeah. thirty minutes into an hour, beyond an hour, it starts to happen. Especially for any for yeah. for those who run more, you have to go further to get it. But Dude, that's what they chase. That was super I was going to cool. bring that up yeah. because you know, remember last week how I said if I had a really good workout, I would go back and try to figure out. And I would look in my journal, yeah. you know, go back two weeks, what led up to that. Because I would have, like, on those occasions where I had that runner's high, where you at once feel invisible and bulletproof and, you know, you know what I mean. Where oh, it's yeah. just like, you're not even touching the ground. Yeah. You know what I mean? Stop signs, cars, doesn't uh. matter. And... Here, here's the addict's mind. I was like, I gotta do that again. Exactly, and I, dude. It, I can't run in the rain without trying to. I remember the first run I had. It was seven miles. It was in Lake Charles, Louisiana, where I was living at the time, and it started to rain. And I was like, I was probably you know five or six miles in, and I just kept going, and because it, it was raining, and it was like. I, I love running in the rain, but I didn't realize like there was an actual uh, chemical reaction that was going on that but, was making me just oh, feel un, absolutely unstoppable. So it's that. It is that. It's Chasing the endo dragon yeah. on a run yeah, in the exactly, rain. Exactly, dude. It's endocannabinoids <laughs> for sure, but it's also the flow state. Like Mihai yeah. Chik Csikszentmihalyi talks about that we have this need or this need to get into that state and in our modern society we don't and we to get flow it they they talk about flow in non-athletic non-embodied somatic ways that right. i think i've i've experienced that i've done math problems i'm not good at math but i've gotten engaged in math problems if you've read a really good novel you've been there where yeah. you're in that place so deeply that nothing else can mm -hmm. distract you that's a flow state but there's something about it when you're moving doing yeah. an activity that was like chopping wood yep or walking long distances or things that we did evolutionarily that we don't do anymore right and running is one of the rare places where this mix of the internal chemistry that creates a secretion that gives you this reason to keep chasing a thing and then the feedback loops that happen through the the the, the flow cycle but what's interesting is a seven mile run in the rain in lake charles mm -hmm. um doesn't match flow state 
Because right. what they're talking about in the scientific determination of flow state is it has to match. Two things have to be happening at minimum. These are essential. You have to have a level of skill that matches, that matches, but doesn't quite get to the challenge level that you want to do. So you have to have a, on one level is the difficulty or the challenge, what yep. you want to do. On the other level is your skill set at it. Um, but yet you're running through the, I would, I would argue I have been running in the rain many times mm -hmm. and I would say it's a flow state. So this is where I push back on these scientific empirical studies right. that say that we have to have X, Y, and Z mm -hmm. when our direct subjective experience says, fuck no, man, yep. that shit was going well, on. The, like it's, yeah. it's respiration. It's all the stuff. It's just, it's physiological. And that's what's like, I, I, I it's. At a bare minimum, it's un. You can't forget these experiences. No, and and that's the that's the that I think I feel like we we struck such a cool chord in the com conversation. Going like trying to define the role of an athlete, which is our exploratory methods yeah. for the day of talking about like kind of what it is, what it isn't, but landing on this idea of the experience of an athlete when they set off on the journey is one that I don't think that you can hide from. And that to me is a really, it's, it's just such the coolest place to land. And it's just resonating deeply with me right now. I mean, that it, it's actually telling me a lot about where I've ended up and kind of why I've ended up here. And it wasn't necessarily by my choice. It was mostly by kind of getting forged through all of those different experiences yeah. that last, you know, the last 10k of the first marathon the you know all of the stuff i mean it that's a yeah i i can't say enough about about that i you think know, you can't define it to somebody either mm -mm. they have to go through it no and mm -hmm. yeah it's it's kind of like um yeah it's like showing a someone a picture of the top of everest like oh it's beautiful it's not the same thing as like actually being there mm -hmm. you know over like probably I don't know, within the last 10 years, I started writing all the programs, whether for an individual or for a group, for that exact reason, with that goal in mind, is to set up the session or the workout or the week or whatever to allow that flow state or whatever you want to call it um, a, to be a bigger opportunity. It's like if you, you know, well, you know, if you do your warm up like this, if you do, you know, go through the, the the mental pictures that you need to go through when you're doing this, you'll, you know, everything should work out really, really well, and you'll feel more confident when you come out of it. You'll, you know, you'll. So part of it is also like remember we were talking about at some point, the athlete will come to a point where they get to the really dark place and they sort of break down a little bit. I've been writing the workouts almost for the opposite to try to show them like those highs. Yeah, I think you got to do both personally, yeah. but, and I'm sure that, that in, but you know, John, my model has always been based on that Yeah, because yeah, yeah. my model has always been, um, I, as I, when I ran, I mean, I started running when I was six, I started racing when I was eight. By the time I was eight years old, I was meeting my angel and like Jacob and I was wrestling with my angel at eight. Yeah. Yeah. about who I was and what I was all about. And that was a long, dark, light, well-lit journey and very dark journey because yeah. it's very challenging to deal with identity structures in that way. But 
I now know this is why I came up with this term, what the race requires. And the race does require this awareness space that you're talking about. And I think that's kind of what it is. It's like yeah. running, there's a tension we have, a, a tension, A-T-T-E-N-T-I-O-N, where we bring our attention to a thing and that's the pace or the number of reps or that's the ritual aspect. What is it that you've aligned that's there that the athlete says, oh, this is how I find my way. But what you're operating for, what you're opting, what you're hoping to in, engender in them is an awareness state that allows them to stay with the trouble, to stay in a good place that maximizes two things. The physiology, yep. because we both know an athlete gets better by doing less. Now, not less volume necessarily, but by doing less than what they're capable of. This is something we know in our sport right. because it's loaded. Unlike cycling, unlike cycling and swimming, <laughs> it yeah. is loaded. And yeah, so yeah. therefore you cannot give them a consistent diet of more than they can handle. So yeah. you're always backing that off. And that engenders that attention state, that flow state that comes through. But I argue too, you need to then occasionally, ritually again, break the cycle. Yeah. break them down. Um, I try to do it, to not do it physiologically. However, many of my athletes that I work with do not, um, don't learn unless they put their hand on a fire. Right. So therefore there comes in these giant sessions that basically. I think I went through one of those. Yeah, they're there. A couple they're, of them last year. <laughs> and, and I think that that's one of the things yeah, that's so PTSD. interesting about. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Joe, John, I guess this is this is one question I would have for you. Both this both answers last week's question and this that last week's topic and this week's topic. Is there any? Do you feel like you would? Do you feel like the way that you write your programs as a coach are matching the needs of the general athlete or the specific needs of a specific athlete when you're working in a group scenario? Oh, in a group. I mean, obviously, when you're working in a one-to-one -one scenario, you can always opt for that. Yeah. Well, in the group, the way I always wrote it was. You know, and you know, you have the you have the coffee talks where you go, or the beer talks, or whatever. You go sit down with your athletes, and you talk about the goals and things like that. So there's a general program that we're following, and then you know there will be different groups, and so and then within the groups, you so not if you're writing for a group, you say okay, we're going to do eight by a K, but then maybe only a couple people are going all eight, right? And so you really have to come at it from both perspectives if you have a group. But As how a, do you handle the athlete that then says, but I didn't get the eight times a K, so I'm not ready to go, right? Like, you like just, look, trust yourself. You trust you as a coach or yeah. they haven't trust themselves as an athlete? They, well, both. Um, and that's, that's <laughs> interesting, like for the first, you know, when I first, uh, God, like four years ago, when I got diagnosed with heart disease and I was, I was, I was in a bad way, like, that scared the shit out of me. I was like, fuck, because all my dad's family died of heart disease when they were in like 40s and 50s. I was like, oh man, that's not cool. And I kind of, I think, went into this fight or flight thing. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna start really, not just obligatory running again, but I'm going to set goals. And um, there was a guy I had met a couple times in my travels for work, I'd run into him at marathons and we just always had a really good chat. We knew the same people and I really liked him and he was really friendly with me and I sent him an email and I was like, hook me up. And he was like, all right. So 
I give him for the last four years, I've given him like a little, like it's a nominal, it's here. And um, he's, and I basically was like, whatever, you know, I'll try to do whatever you give me. And that was the first time as an athlete, I'd ever like given up everything I knew and said, I'm in your hands. And it, and I, this is my personal experience, but it has been so much fun. <laughs> I, I've, in the last few years, even though I'm slower than I've ever been and I've had, it's really been a struggle when I'm out running or even walking or whatever, it's like, you know, because I don't, now I'm the purpose, like you were talking about, is different than being a competitive person. It's like, I want to be able to do this so I can feel like in six weeks if I wanted to, I could be a competitive person. You know what I mean? Like that, the last vestiges of that competitiveness from a childhood is still there but now it's it's couched within this other thing it's mellowed you've you've you have matured like isn't it interesting how one of the things that we get so frustrated with our athletes is when you know i was going to say two things that are really important for athletes to consider are trust in your coach which you were saying those eight times the k and when one person does four one person does six one person does eight trust the coach um, that's really critical and crucial. If you don't have a coach relationship that you can do that with, then you need a new coach. Not because the coach has made a mess, but because you don't trust them. That's not yep. the coach's fault. It's the right. athlete's fault. Number two is buy-in. So when you do give the trust, then go all the way in. Yep. And how hard is it to do that? Like as yeah. coaches, you and I, um, I don't think I have the courage to be coached. Really? I don't, I don't. In fact, I think that's one of my challenges as, as an athlete. Um, at some point in time, I realized, um, Every coach I ever had let me down. Yeah. Um, at some fundamental way. Um, and and not because they had anything wrong with them, not that they had done anything wrong, but just in my personal experience based on and so then I kinda and I have a nature which is uh, you know, as an athlete, going back to the beginning of our conversation, you know, how our athletes, my experience as an athlete was I was extremely motivated and yeah. extremely talented. Yeah. Um, but at some point in time, my experience um, as a, as an athlete was that my coaches did not have my best interest at heart. Sure. Um, they had ulterior motives. Yeah. And that those ulterior mo- for that too. and That's those ulterior motives come back from when you pivot uh, and you go from. And so then I went to a place that was more my natural tendency. I'm a lunar person. So it's like, well, I'll, I'm not going to, you know, most running programs are designed for solar people, right? People who are going to wake up early in the morning and go get after it and type A and I'm type Z, right? Yeah, like yeah. if you give me a book and I'll sit in my room and read for 24 hours, 36 hours, 48 hours, yep. like I can stay in one place. So my nature was that way. So then I was just like, oh, now I'm the talented, but not disciplined or not driven person. And, you know, so it's like we all, I guess I'm bringing that up to say we all have these different journeys as athletes. And um, it's so really helpful to hear a coach say, I need, you needed the vulnerability. Yeah. You needed to be vulnerable enough to say, A, I'm going to give somebody else the reins. Yeah. B, um, I'm not going to second guess it. I'm just going to go with yeah. it. And C, it's fucking fun. Yeah. Well, you, it, you, you're vul- I, I, that, that's a big vulnerability yeah, for you as a coach to do. It's, um, and I do need to say, it's not like I know enough to know, and I know enough about this person 
that there was a level of trust before. Oh yeah, for in, sure. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I know what this person tends to do in terms of schedules. Um, the thing that I have found the most helpful is like, you know, I'd get a, I got to the point where I was at an hour for a long run. An hour, you know, what, it, you know, people are doing that Monday mornings or whatever, right? And I, you know, and then I sort of had a, a, a health thing and I couldn't, and I was like, dude, I got to take a few weeks off. And he was like, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, I think what happens a lot, like in D1 programs and stuff, like once you're unhealthy or injured, you automatically go away until you're not right this is a huge area of conversation for us an yeah. entire episode on this topic yeah. of how we create an injured reserve how we create a space for athletes when they're destroyed and when they're when they're yeah. when when this is we, we let's just let's just bookmark that for yeah. some future conversation well, the thing the thing that has kept one of the things that has kept me going aside from all you know the chemicals going through my brain when i go through a run is like this guy has been really compassionate forgiving not that he needs to be forgiven. There's nothing, but he's just been, and he, you know, he's been with you. He's on the journey. And, he's know, with I'll, you. I'll send him an email and go, okay, I'm ready to go. And in my head, I'm like, we will start off where we left off. Oh no. And he's like, <laughs> oh, hell 20 no. minutes tomorrow. Yep. I'm like, the fuck? but then that 20 minutes <laughs> is awesome. You know? And yeah. 15 years ago, I'm like 20 minutes. I think he meant 45 yeah. is what mm -hmm. he meant to write. But it, you know, and that's, so that's the way I'd play it. <laughs> and now it's just so much more fun, right? Because then, you know, if Monday you do 20 minutes, by the time you get to Saturday and you're at 30 minutes or whatever, you feel like a normal person. But as a hyper-driven, hyper-focused, on this sense anyway, um, I, I would have skipped all over that and gone immediately to Saturday. And then blown your cab out yeah. and then being back in the yeah. same place that you yeah. were at before, I mean, which is so interesting in this. Just so you know, like John and I as athletes... Um, we are, we are not the same person as we are when we're coaches. Cause yeah. John would never do anything other than create a more progressive, consistent yeah. roll through, know that, you know, it's like, we, I always say this as a coach, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Cause I've spent much of my running coaching career running alongside some of my athletes lately. I've moved out of that, but, yeah. and I would always, they'd always be looking at me and go, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm an athlete right now. So if you judge me as a coach, I would, I would, I would break me down, right? If I were a coach coaching myself, I would have, I would stop me or I would yeah. make fun of me or yeah. I would use me as an example or do something to jar everyone else's attention. But it's, yeah, it's so, it's so interesting. Um, yeah, I, so I think that's another thing you have to consider too is that when we talk about the trust aspect, mm -hmm. I think that's something you need to consider as an athlete is your coach someone you would trust outside mm. of the coaching world? Not would I be friends with them, but is it something like, you know what? That's a reasonable, logical person. Or if you have a kid, yeah. would you, would you want that coach to coach your child? Right. Or that's your wife really, or your husband or really your, your way to look at it. Yeah. Because, really because they're not going to have, because a lot of those coaches that we know that are this sort of grind them out, get them done, get the result. They are after that short term goal. Yeah. They're after that. They're not after the long-term objective. Well, now, too, I think we talked about this. I know coaches who are probably more guilty than the athletes of doing it for the gram. Mm -hmm. 
and that that is that's just not it's just not healthy because <laughs> that's like I'll be your designated driver as soon as I finish this bottle of Jack Daniels. It well, just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's one of the responsibilities. You know, in my mental notes that I made for this conversation was what are the responsibilities of an athlete, and one of them is the athlete has to want it more than the coach does. And what yeah. you just described is when the coach wants it, wants that result more than the athlete yeah. does. But anytime that imbalance is in play where the coach's desire, yeah. I had this when I was a collegiate coach, the pressures and as a pro coach, the coach, the pressures on me as a coach were to get the results, whether they were real or perceived, it didn't matter. Um, and then I needed the result more than the athlete did. And it mm. always created yeah. the most, fundamentally unbalanced relationship yeah. because I needed the metric to show I was on the way right. to get the thing that needed to get done to be in right. the place. And the athletes designed to do that. So, you know, it's like there are, you know, I think you do want to ask yourself that question. Um, would you, would you place someone that you valued in the hands of that coach? Because then you can make sure that the relationship that you have with that, you know, one thing I wanted to, we don't, we, one thing that I do think is really interesting to bring to this is a question about self-coaching because there was a period of time. I was going to ask that. There was a period of time where I, where I, where I thought every athlete should be self-coached. And I I still do believe this fundamentally that no matter what happens, no matter how much buy-in and trust you have, you still should have a third leg to the stool, which says I'm in my own, you should be conducting your own first person subjective experiences you know empirical empirical and thence the sense that you have lots of data sets around that and pay attention to those data sets because i can't be in my athlete's um body right and no coach can be in an athlete's body and so you do need as an athlete to be self-coached at some level to be able to take in the context that the, the the content that the coach is giving, the context of what your race result goal is, how you'd like to be in, aligned with that goal, but then what is going on in yourself, um, mentally, physically, spiritually, whatever way you want to phrase that, and how are you relating to that? Because at the end of the day, you're the motherfucker on the line. Right. Yeah, you know? I think that's a really important because I, I wanted to ask because this conversation is kind of in counterpart to the role of a coach right We're talking about the role of an athlete right and i didn't necessarily necessarily want to throw a wrench into the conversation and talk about what about athletes who don't have the resource of a coach or maybe they haven't found one yet or what's going on and i think that that you kind of summed it up by saying at any given point there's this third leg of the tripod that is um th- this internal coach that we have and it seems like that would be fundamental and developing a coaching skill of ourself and that's the learning piece that's the purpose piece but like knowing that we're not going to nail it every time we're going to lose our purpose we're going to lose what we're learning we're going to forget what we've learned and it, i think there's a, there's an extreme duty because i've spent a lot of my maybe the past five or seven years uh coaching myself or without a coach or kind of going off the grid a little bit and um and I've often kind of seen that in lieu of a coach, but perhaps it was just um, working on the supplemental skill that's required at the onset before you even find one, because there's a lot of people out there that might not have found that relationship yet. 
the most valuable role of a coach in that position is to find the blind spots. Like that's what coaches are doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what you're, you're, you have blind spots when you're self coaching. Yeah. Um, and so you yeah. want another person keeping an eye on it to at least, at least they have some fundamentals that they know are essential, whether they're physiological, mental, whatever it is they've got. John's got a role. He rolls through a series of workouts that guarantees many people who are self coached will do 200 reps or 1k reps yeah. they'll they won't they won't hit a variety of systems quote unquote doing energy like, systems like 150 you know yeah he's got uh, no pull pull or no what are they called they get like the five pound dumbbells yeah he's got no curls. he's got it's no like, lats you don't need to do 100 of those yeah. he's got you need the coach to come in and be like why don't you raise it a little bit yeah, he's yeah. got no, or or he's got no lats but he's got giant yeah. biceps because all he does is do one activity and doesn't so do we enough. all agree yeah. that the role of a coach is fundamental to an athlete well, I don't know and, that. I think that there's a lot of really well, really great athletes out there. I mean, one of my favorite athletes of all time is a guy named Mark Nienow. Most mm-hmm. people don't know who he is, but he was a he was the American record holder in the 10K. The dude did seven days a week. He he did the same workouts. Monday was always the same. Tuesday was always the same. Wednesday was always the same. Thursday was the same. He did a 10-mile run on this particular course all the time. Yeah. But when you look back at those macro cycles or whatever he was doing, that micro cycle, it was hitting multiple energy systems, multiple physio- physiological boxes that coaches kind of think are important to check right, off, yeah. which is another whole conversation of whether there was a really exist or not or what mm-hmm. they do. But ultimately, he was doing enough. And then number two, he believed it enough. But I still think Mark now would have been a better athlete Okay. If he did had somebody to give him a little bit of variety in there, because we've learned over the years that that variety is um, creates the challenge that makes a person learn. That's like them a therapist. A you need an objective third party lens to kind of you know sit outside of the right. conversation. It's helpful, and that's yeah. and that's never a bad thing. When people are like, "Should I get therapy?" I'm always like, "Absolutely." <laughs> Why? Because. Call them the bullshit. Okay, but I don't know. But but here's the thing: the same. I also have been critical of talk therapy Mm -hmm. because then the person takes away their own first person subjective responsibility Mm -hmm. to doing that hard work off the couch day to day. How many people go to the same? That's the third leg of the tripod. Yeah, the therapist is like you shouldn't see them. It's like a good PT. You keep going back to this PT for the same problem for. Ten years, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, like, like that's what I loved about Arasti. That when those Arasti dudes, they do this ret work on you. You, it either works or it doesn't work. They're, mm. You're in and you're out. You're in there for four rep, four, four things, and not that for a therapist that they only need to be in there for that period of time. But I do think that sometimes there's a model, and it happens in coaching, happens in everything's where it. Okay, you need three legs, and you need to be all three of those need to be in position, and they need to be playing. They need to be talking to each other and you need to be consistently thinking about that. If you're off on your own, just doing it by yourself, you probably could use somebody keeping an eye on it. If you've got a coach and you're just totally so bought in and so trusting that you don't actually pay attention to any of your own internal rhythms and internal things, you're also on a two-legged stool and eventually it's going to fall and we want to try to keep you as balanced as possible. It doesn't mean that injury won't come in or trauma won't come in or something might come in and totally wipe your stool off, but at least with three legs, you're more likely than not. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, there's has to be like this sort of symmetry between, let me back up. Uh, Forget about that. There, the other thing that an athlete needs perhaps is a shared experience. 
And if you have a coach or an advisor or a guide or something like that, it's a shared experience and it makes it more meaningful. Um, some people just don't want to work out in groups. You know what I mean? Or they don't have time or whatever. And that, you know, I think group workouts benefit everyone much better. But if you can't, having a coach, I think can just make it more meaningful too, because then you know, to, if, if you were a, a coach athlete team that works well together, that, um, you know, actually listens to each other and applies what they know accordingly, then it re the shared experience is, it, it just makes the personal experience so much more beneficial, I think. 100%. It just goes deeper. Um, and so it, it, at least on the human level, I think that's important too. Um, you know, and, and I think part of that is, is that um, over the last few years of uh, having a coach who... Um, I've been able to build confidence in enough that I feel like I can share things that I just generally don't share in public. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I'm, you know, crocodile tearing or anything like that. I'm just saying, you know, last week was a really rough week or whatever. But then in the general public, if someone says, hey, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, cool. You know what I mean? And that, that personal connection you can make. And I think probably some internet coaches can do it too. I, I'm not good at that. But... I think that is just, you know, then when you have something to celebrate, you have someone celebrating with you. You know what I mean? Who actually knows. We rarely had a meaningful relationship that wasn't built off of the context of a shared experience. Yeah. It's, I mean, you can have them for sure, but yep. they, to me, it's it's more common and there's more connective tissue when you have it. Yep. I don't know. And maybe it can be something like, maybe the shared experience can be personalities or outlooks on life mm -hmm. or um, sharing uh, maybe a love of music that the way you respond to something I don't know something there has to be some connective tissue perhaps yeah. uh, in, in that regard maybe there doesn't but I tend to find that I gravitate towards uh, more to being trusting if there's a shared experience yeah yeah, yeah. well and it, it doesn't even need to be a shared experience that happens at the same physical place or time it can be mm -hmm. like when was the last time the three of us all ran together? Never. Mm -hmm. So, but we're still talking about it and sharing an experience. And we've all had coaches, and so we can talk about it at, at that level. Um, but when people are new and they come in and they're intimidated, and if, if they have a coach, and if they're open to being at, even superficially vulnerable, at, you know, the coach has to be also, and just going, you know, I, I, I'm not a runner, but I, I, you know, like, then you know where you're starting from. Brutally you know I mean? honest. Is you know what I mean? One. Yeah, you just got to find a way to be. I was told that one time, and I just absolutely love that. Is brutal honesty is the type of honesty that kind of just goes real deep. Yeah. And if you can find a way not to go sobbing to the coach, but yeah. just being like, look. Yep. Um, I know where I'm at. Like I have an objective look of where I'm at. I, yeah. I'm, it's okay to be honest about that. I want to get here. And I'm also honest about that because I can't really check my ego all the time. Right. And 
So now that you know that I can't check my ego, you know that I'm going to really come up short quite a few times. And even that is a nice poking some hole through just so you can get some air. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I'm drowning a little bit. I need a, I need a little bit of straw just to get to the top. But yeah. like that, that can be, that can be a, a good, a good method. I, I think that the role of an athlete uh, in learning is also being, it's not necessarily an ego thing. Maybe it is, but it's, it's, the ego is the means to trust. The ego is the means to share, be brutally honest about about what you're thinking and feeling, which is very important. Yeah. Very, very yeah. important. Yeah. If you don't do that, I think you're selling yourself short um, in every aspect of life. If you're not being, if you're not able to work on communicating, I haven't met one person that can articulate the way that they're thinking and feeling at like a guru level we all have to sit back and learn how to do that. Like that's literally what I work on all the time. Yeah. And cause thoughts motivate behavior. If you can't take a step back and objectively take a look at that thought and realize how it compels like your next action, then it's difficult to learn. It's difficult to understand what the next move is. Insert the coach, insert a little honesty. And so goes the relationship. Yep. I think that, um, there probably is, the rest, the rest can be history. I, I'm, I'm well, not sure, but that took me a long time to at least. That I'm not even saying I'm good at it. I'm just saying I can admit that that's something. Well, you're yeah. You, at the at the most basic level, you're aware of it, and I think a lot of people. There's just so much external stimulation right. that they're not right. looking. They're not just taking a, a beat and thinking about it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's really cool. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Awesome. Rock and roll. Sorry, guys. I did not feel good today. I did not. I did not <laughs> feel good wrong? at all. Uh, I, you know, I went to uh, ACL oh, Saturday, physically? and I have not recovered. Mm -hmm. oh. And I, I was in bed by 